0: Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com.
2: And I'm very excited to introduce to you my good friend and special guest this week, Oscar Robertson, known to his adoring fans as the Big O. Oscar, welcome to a current life.
3: Thank you, Jimmy. Good. Glad to be with
2: you. Well, I'd like to give a brief introduction for those few listeners that maybe are not as familiar with the history of basketball and the incredible contribution you've made to it. Oscar Robertson is a basketball legend. He has dominated the court on every level, high school, college, the Olympics, and also the NBA. Being the first big point guard at six foot five, two 220 pounds, he could score from anywhere on the court. He could pass, rebound, and play defense. Oscar paved the way and set the bar for players like Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant and LeBron James. He was nicknamed the Big O and he was awarded the title of Player of the Century. Aside from his monumental success and triumph on the court, he has made a name for himself off the court as a humanitarian, social activist, businessman, mentor, teacher, and labor leader. Oscar, it's a distinct pleasure to have you and an honor. I've known you for a very, very long time, for decades, and you've been a great inspiration to me. Welcome to A Current Life. Thank you. What I want to do in this show is really start with the early years. Uh, our team, and particularly me, have read everything and looked at everything on your life. Uh, I've enjoyed immensely and recommend to everybody uh, your book, uh, The Big O, My Life, My Times, and My Game, which I thoroughly enjoyed reading on your life, and um, and I uh, feel that uh, I learned a great deal about so many things you went through growing up. and and, and So I want to talk a lot about the early years. Uh, tell me a little bit of what it was like growing up on a farm in Charlotte, Tennessee, and then at four, moving to Indianapolis to a rural area. What was life like for you?
3: Well, it was happy life, Jimmy, simple life. I've been no other life. I'm just happy to be around my parents and my grandparents. Uh, and you know, just growing up, I mean, you, you didn't care for anything. Uh, a very, very religious background. Uh, uh, you, you had everything you needed. You had family. You had you had your religion, and, and you had a lot of work. But at four, I moved to the city of Indianapolis because my father said he realized that that I couldn't get an education in Tennessee other than the eighth grade. <clears throat> so therefore, he moved up to Indianapolis to be with my an aunt and some cousins there, where he started working, and naturally I started in high school, and on my way to Christmas out high school.
2: Well, you know, as you, as you grew up, you know, uh, really more, uh, in the rural area when you were young and then moving to Indianapolis, I assume that, uh, you know, life wasn't easy for your family. I know that, you know, a lot of this has been written about some of the difficult times you went through as a, ch- as a child. And, and particularly in your autobiography, you talk about as a child that you actually pretended that there was a hoop set up on a tree near your home. <laughs> <laughs> and that yeah. you didn't have the money for a real ball, so you used a dinghy rag ball held together by elastic or roll-up socks tied together with a string. I find that just incredible. Can you talk a little bit about that?
3: Well, that's that's, that's, the, that's the way a young boy does things, Jimmy. You get imaginary things like, for instance, uh, you had bat with with, with two outs of bottom of the knife and a long fastball was coming and you hit it out of park. I had, no, I had nothing. My parents had nothing. We lived in a little shotgun house. My father worked for... A meat company called Kingins and Company. My mother did, did domestic work, and she also was became a beautician. So you had no money. You never had. You didn't, I, I didn't go to the fast food or, or markets, or I didn't go to to, to the restaurants, anything at all. You, all you had was uh, you ate, ate dinner every night at home, whatever there was. Uh, most of the dinners and meals were meatless until the weekend. But you know, we, you know, I, as I say again, Jimmy, you know, sometimes you know you're so happy when you're involved in these things, you don't realize there, there's any other way of life. That's the way I was. Sure, I had imaginary baskets on a tree in front of my house. I'd take a sock ball or any kind of ball I could think of, and, and I shot hoops.
2: Well, you know, it's an incredible uh, inspiration to these young people who are probably given everything today. I mean, you know, information is flowing quickly. They, they they know everything that goes on. They're wired up to all the stuff that's going on around the world. Everything of a person sneezes in Greece, it affects what goes on in America. And there you were. You know, I mean, you're the greatest basketball player of the century, and you were introduced to the trade with a pile of rag balls and an imagination. I, I just feel that today a lot of people just don't get it. They don't appreciate what it takes to have the type of uh, dedication that you showed just through that at a very early age. Well, I,
3: I think what happens, Jim, is that life has changed quite a bit. When I started playing basketball, I went in the park and played, and they had police officers there on the system called the Powell club, the Police Athletic League, to monitor and make sure everything was right. You you know, in any any community, in any atmosphere where you live, where if you have no money, you have a lot of young boys that you gravitate to sports. I've played all sports. And this is where we played basketball. We played football and baseball as well. Now today... And, and, and where we live in today, uh, the AAU is king. Where they get elite kids, they don't usually go to the city and get a, a lot of a lot of uh, uh, inner city kids. The, the, the little league baseball, they don't go to the city and get a lot of little lot, lot of inner city kids. What they do is go to the suburbs because it involves money to a certain extent. Like for, like for instance, a friend of mine's son was involved in ice hockey, and man alive, he, the money he spent out on ice hockey and to travel to to events to play was incredible. But young kids today, if you don't have money, uh, you don't have resources, and you're not in the right school system, it's very, very difficult to get involved in a situation where you can really go out and compete uh, on, on, on the, in a competitive level. But now, you know, it, it's a security risk when you go to certain parts of the city to go out and play basketball or baseball anything.
2: Well you know I, I I first of all, I agree with you I think in order to even be recognized by these college programs, you really have to be in an a a u program uh, for for basketball, and really, what you do isn't necessarily just what you do in the school system but it's also what you do outside the school system so you can show your competitive you know uh strengths against other kids who may be the elite players, so I agree with you on that i mean i I find that uh I was reading so many things um about what people said about you there's been so much so ma- so many shows and so many things written about you you know you read about. You know, Jerry West and John Havlicek saying that you were absolutely the greatest player that they ever played against. You know, you you, you read the comments that Lou Karnasekis says. He said, even though you knew where Oscar Robertson was going and what he was going to do, you just couldn't stop him. And, and a lot of the things that, that you know, that people wrote was, you know, you were just a pure basketball player where a lot of the guys that followed you maybe had, you know, no-look passes and things like that and between the legs and all the different kinds of stuff. But I grew up watching you play. I watched everything you did, you know, because you were with the Royals and you were at UC before that. And obviously I I grew up in Cincinnati. You seemed to have both not only the dedication and commitment, but you had a certain sense of underlying, I felt, anger. Uh, maybe that's the wrong term. I've known you so long, so I use that as maybe just you were just a fierce competitor, which is what all these people said about you.
3: Well, that's true. You, I, 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 th- I think that when you get involved with in certain sports, uh, uh, you, you know, it's not quite anger; it, it's just dedication to want to play. But I do, I, be- I do believe in football. You have to have a certain degree of anger to play football. I don't care what anyone says about what, like about playing the game, playing the game in a sportsman, like way. I think you have to have some anger. Basketball is competitive. <laughs> I wanted to win. I didn't want to get beat. You know, when you grow up, you play out in the park. when, when you're young, you're the older guys—they you better a coke, you better a cup of a nickel or so forth, and so forth—they beat you all the time, and, you, and, it, and it just gets to you. Uh, no, you know, uh, anger. I could have been real angry. Angry with some of the conditions that were that were around when I played. For instance, in high school, you know, you, you couldn't go here, you couldn't go there. You, you know, they didn't even have a bus to ride to the school. Uh, you know, you played in, 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 in gyms. You had to go outside the city because a lot of the city schools will not play you at first. You played away way out into the counties and areas and neighborhoods. But these are all, all white neighborhoods where we played. But the city schools didn't want to play us at first. And the places you couldn't go, you couldn't go downtown to the restaurants. i never forget the first time we won a championship. We went downtown to this restaurant in Indianapolis. First time I've ever been downtown in Indianapolis. Other than catch the bus, I catch the train to go back to Nashville. Well, I just didn't go downtown because we, I knew, we knew all the guys were around us knew we, they didn't want blacks downtown in those days, so we didn't go down there.
2: Well, how important. Um was education to you at that time? Because you talk a lot about the positive impact that your high school teachers at Crispus Addicts High School and the college professors at the University of Cincinnati had on you. And, you know, I know that one of the reasons your dad relocated the family in Indianapolis was to help you find, you know, uh, you and your two brothers a better education. What what does that mean to you in in terms of how the other kids look at education today as well?
3: Well, it meant so much to me, uh, Jimmy, because uh, actually to begin with, at first when I first started to go to well, to Christmas at its high school, there was no professional basketball per se. Other than watching the Globetrotters play a few times, who, who were kings to all, uh, to not only to Af- African-American kids, but to all over the world. And, and I just realized because people there that where I went to school were people who had doctorates, but they couldn't teach in the white schools because of the, because of the racial situation. And they impressed upon, us, pressed upon us, pressed upon us the value of education to get forward, to go forward. Because not only for African American kids, but for everyone in the country, education was really pushed hard—a way to, way to improve yourself, to become educated, go to school, learn how to make more money, and all these kind of things. And this is what I happened. My teachers in high school never mentioned basketball to me at all. Uh, they didn't. I mean, and I got came to the University of Cincinnati. I was graduated in the top ten percent of my class. You know. College, to me, was not difficult. I mean, I had a great background because of the teachers and the experiences I had at Christopher Addicts High School. It was wonderful. And I always will, will, will salute those teachers at Christopher Addicts High School, prepared me in the right direction in order to go through college and not, and not, not have difficulty, which I did not have at UC.
2: Well, you know, one thing that impressed me, uh, and it was a quote out of your book, and 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 it speaks so much, it speaks volumes about your parents and how they raised you. And, you know, uh, you know, your, the quote that you share in your book is, "Integrity depends on inner dignity, which is one thing that should never be compromised." I mean, clearly, your parents embodied that in you. They sounded. Incredi- like incredibly special people that gave you and your brothers everything they could, and they taught you well, and protected you, and gave you the support, and knowledge that you needed. Uh, uh, I would assume that they were uh, unbelievable inspiration to you in your life. Well, they were
3: indeed. Uh, they worked very hard. My mother, my mother was, I said, she did some domestic work and became a beautician. Uh, she she wrote and sang religious songs, and they just they just believe that, that that no matter what happened, Jim, at the end. At the end there was always God, and they just felt that that no matter how much you suffered you know that you you' you're, 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 you would be eased at, at a certain time in life even in death or sometimes before that uh he had rules about playing basketball he would he would always tell me that if you don't keep your grades up to you, you and, and you don't you don't do the right things you know, you're not going to play basketball, you don't run around with the wrong kids, you don't run around with gangsters and people who got involved with, although there were not a lot of drugs in, but people who drank a lot. We, you don't run around with those people. You run around with good people. And this is what he instilled in us, you know. And so, therefore, you, when I started school, you know, I kept that with me all the time. My mother was very, very uh, uh, tough on us about going to school and studying all the time. But she, she, she didn't have the time to go oh, to school for PTA meetings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But she did say, hey, listen, if you don't do this right, my father said, if you don't do this right in school, and he, one thing, one rule my father had, he does not want to hear any any concerns from any teacher about me in school. He said, you're there to learn and to listen and obey the teachers.
2: And well, when we come things. back, we're, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I'd like to talk about how that really prepared you for your parenting style and raising your girls. And uh, I should mention to our listeners, uh, you are uh, fortunate because you've had a long life with a very special woman, Yvonne, who I think the world of and know quite well. And I just want you to please give her my best. Uh, it's time for us to take a break. Uh, you're listening to A Current Life with Jimmy Gould and my special guest, Oscar Robertson. Uh, this show is brought to you by Smart Water, Wild Things Gear, and Ad Space Mall Networks. Please stay tuned.
0: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it will be 50 years from now. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more, not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com.
1: You're listening to A Current Life with Jimmy Gould. If you have a question or comment for Jimmy or his guest today, please call one 866 472-5788. That's one 472 5788 If you'd like to send an email, the address is a current life at Yahoo.com. Now back to the program.
2: Welcome back to a current life. This is your host, Jimmy Gould. And today I have a very special guest here with me, Oscar Robertson, known to his fans as the big O Oscar. Before we broke, uh, you spoke a lot about how, uh, your parents and, and, uh, instilled in you a special... I think, uh, integrity and, and dignity about how life should be led. And you talked a lot about school and about the inspiration that you got from some of your teachers and things. A lot of the people, you know, uh, and a lot that we've talked to on the shows that we've had pre- previous to, to you as a guest talk about hardships early on in life really make you stronger as a, as a person if it doesn't kill you. Um, how did your early years really prepare you for your journey of becoming um, not just a great basketball player, I mean the greatest basketball player, but really your parenting style and, and raising your girls?
3: Well, you know, I think you have to be uh, sort of adaptable to the circumstances around you. I think the parents have to change with, with the environment and whatnot. But, you know, I I just think, you know, I just try to do the same thing that my parents did, and, I, and, I, and my wife did a tremendous job. I uh, also helped raise my kids because, Jimmy, you know, I was away playing basketball a lot. But you know you had to have certain rules and things that do's and don'ts. She she was just very difficult on them as far as uh, she wanted she wanted them to dress nice. She wanted to be, uh, be courteous to people. She wanted them to, to understand and respect the elders. She wanted them to do well in school. And she didn't want them going out with the wrong kids, especially especially the wrong boys and things like that. You know, I mean, you get in with the wrong group and you could cause you nothing but trouble. And but sometimes young people don't understand that. And I, I must say, you know, Jimmy, it's difficult when you have kids. You have kids, but sometimes. You have to be like a little dictator to them, you know, because they don't understand it until they get a little older. Once they get older, they understand why you did certain things. But sometimes early on, they they think you're the worst person in the world.
2: <laughs> I often I often ask myself the question. I'm so glad to hear you say that because I wonder at what point in time in their life they're going to come back and say to me, "You know what, Dad." Thank you for being really tough on us because I think I go back and forth between being, wanting to be their best friend and being a bit of a dictator and I struggle with that. I'm sure every parent struggles with that because you, you know, and, and quite frankly, I would imagine having a father who was well known like you and obviously I've represented a lot of athletes throughout my life as one of my businesses and built many businesses and you know I I that uh, that has put my kids around a lot of well known people uh um you know I I can tell you for sure my seven, my 15 year old was excited you know Lucas who you've met uh, who's six seven and plays basketball was going. Oh, I can't believe you have Oscar on your show today. I'm so excited about uh... hearing it. You know, I would assume that it was very difficult for that first boy who came to your house and knocked on the door to ask your daughter out for a date. What was that like?
3: Well, you know, I mean, he was a nice young man. You know, he just came in and said he who he was. I knew he was coming, and so I sat down and said, How are you doing? What, what, what are you doing? Where are you going to school? What do you want to do? And those kind of things. Didn't go into any heart real details because I don't think my daughter was really that enthused about him. She, she just—he was a friend, and he asked out for a date. It, it, you, you don't, you don't really get into a conversation with them until you you realize that they're serious about someone, you know. And then, then you start asking real serious questions. But, but here, here, here again, Jimmy, you have to be careful there also because. You don't know how realistors there are until sometimes until it's too late, and then you, then you you try to make the best of a, of a situation, whatever it might be.
2: Now you know when you your family moved to Indianapolis, um, you lived with an aunt for a while, and then your father found a house. and I, I know I read it didn't have indoor plumbing, and the roof was yeah. made of tar paper, and it was cold in the winter, and you know. So many things and gunshots at night and you said that at that point in your life you didn't really know that you were poor that you were being discriminated against as an african-american i mean it really does say a lot about how your parents raised you i do think uh one of the great things that i read was really the very last sentence in the book i mean i marked it because i wanted to ask you about it uh at some point in time in the show you talk about This country has had to fight and scratch for the slightest bit of understanding between blacks and whites. We've come so far. We still have so far to go. Uh, You are so right on about that, and I'd love to know how that has affected you, not just throughout your basketball career and the stuff you put up early, but just on an everyday basis, how how you look at it when you deal with people.
3: You know, I, I don't look at any differently. I mean, I understand it's there, but I have so many wonderful friends, both both sides of the both sides of of the aisle, and I, I just think people sometimes uh, feel the same as I do. But they, you know, it, but it's not a personal thing, and it doesn't affect them the same way. Uh, it, 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 if where I live in Cincinnati, you know, I, I look at things and I say, well, why doesn this happen? Why can't why why are there so many difficulties here in and there and there with with our school system? Why are all the inner city schools having so much difficulty? In, you know, why 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 is it when you go downtown uh, uh, to restaurants and 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 to banks, uh, you you don't see a lot of lot of lot of African American women walking around doing doing their daytime, uh, you know, I'm there are young men working. You know, I I just I just think when you when you when you go through life, and so many things happened to you so many years ago, you like to see some change. You know, uh, the change the change has not come. You know the still still uh, we, we 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 look at we look at our uh, cities and states around here Jimmy you know cities Cincinnati. They, they i
2: they said this they do one point one percent with 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 African Americans and no, they, I agree they, I felt you know Oscar I felt so fortunate In fact uh one of my earliest remembrances of meeting you was when I was shooting baskets in my backyard, and you were, I don't know if you remember it or not, yeah. but we were in North Avondale on Clinton Springs, and for some reason I was in trouble and confined to the house for a couple of weeks, and, and you came over to look at the house and visit, and I shot baskets with you on the side there. I think I was 15 or 16, whatever, but I, the most fortunate thing that could have ever happened to me was that I grew up in North Avondale. Uh, North Avondale was, you know, at that time, You know, my family was so fond of it. When the when the community became integrated, and 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 so many of my friends. You know, we never looked at color. We never, my father, you know, was, taught us people are people. And 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 I felt so fortunate to have grown up in a community, a neighborhood where, you know, we just felt comfortable with everybody. And uh, I think there's just so many communities in America and across the world where, whether it's a religious difference or whether or not it's a color difference or gender difference, you know, these things become monumental or uh, just just. Panama, that there's so many things that prevent people from really getting to know each other and being honest with each other. Because what you're all about, what I've learned about you, and why we have such a good relationship, you're just very honest and very direct, and you have unbelievable integrity. And I see that every time I talk to you and every time I deal with you. And I think that's the thing I wanted our listeners to really understand. It isn't just what you did on the basketball court, because you did it with such great conviction, it's the purity of your character that that rises above it all.
3: Well, I I, I think that, Jimmy, I'll say this: in your life, you meet you meet. I think most people I've met are, are really great people. You know, what I mean, I mean, I, I, I don't really know if I met any real real bad people on, 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 just on a social scene. Well, but but you, you know certain things happen. You read about certain things happening, and whatnot. You you, you you read you read. Why does this happen? Why does this happen? And then you you wonder sometimes. You know, I mean, I mean, sometimes sometimes. I think that we, we get involved in a situation about finances and, and sure in and cities or in inner cities where there are a lot of African American kids who are, who are, who are, not, are not financial. They, they they're gonna do they're gonna do crime. Well, this happens in, in the white neighborhoods as well not not only not only in the in the black neighborhoods but we have to understand where we want to go as a country uh, uh you, you know you know in the next few years you know, the the nature of this country is going to change quite a bit it's never going to be the same and things you see on tv today with politicians they'll say well you know i thought this this race of people are lazy and they don't do this or that but you know you know i never forget the first time First time I, I, I joined the army, I joined the army on television at the halftime of a basketball game. Guy hmm. yeah, said, "Why did I do it?" He said, "Well, you know, I said, no, I, said I said I'm like everybody else. I, I have to serve the country." And you know, this is a black friend of mine. He couldn't understand that. But you know, <laughs> but you live in a country, you know, and, and you you're safe, and you and you grow up, even though sometimes things happen you don't like. But it still a, is the best country. But 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 the thing that bothered bothered about his conversation is that he didn't feel that why is it that a person uh who grew up here and lives here and enjoys all the things everyone else does why do, why do, why does he feel that way
2: yeah i uh i mean that that's the inspiring part of how you look at life you're very you're very real and and what you're pointing out is in front of us the global state of our lives is really what you're referring to and that we're going to have to be find our way to the middle uh let me ask you As I look back on really the beginning of your basketball life, uh, there's an empty lot near your home that the neighborhood kids turn to, and that you call it the Dust Bowl. Uh, You know, you uh, share a little bit of your memory with the Dust Bowl and the courts at Lockfield Gardens and the local YMCA, and maybe the first time your your mom brought you home your very special gift for Christmas, which was a basketball. What did that gift mean to you? And what were some of those? what, What was probably your fondest memory from those days?
3: Well, you know the, the, the dust bowl. The, there, was, there was a house that was torn down, and they right up the street from us, and we put a hoop up. And it was all dusty. Man, it got so dusty sometimes it was just very difficult to even play a dribble or handle a ball. But luckily for us, so in, the, in, the, in the housing uh, complex called Lockfield, there was an asphalt court, and they called that the dust bowl. Although it was, but it was asphalt. It was it had an asphalt base, and this is where all the guys went to play eventually. As a matter of fact, I did not live in Lockfield, so it was a little something little. Contentious for a little bit until we went over there and and all because the guys on our street were great athletes and we did very well in well as football, baseball, basketball or whatever. And then, for, but the first thing about me, one one year, uh, I don't know how old I was. I must have been seven, eight years old. I, you know, you know. I, I, my mother says, Oscar, I got something for you, and she brought me this basketball. It was not a new basketball. She she got it for Great thing for me, Jimmy, because man, I was so happy about that it was unbelievable.
2: <laughs> I can imagine that actually I hope my son is listening to this, so maybe he takes better care of the basketballs that are outside of the property. So let me talk to you about Christmas Addicts High School basketball. I mean, you win two state high school basketball championships. One was undefeated with a forty-five-game winning streak, the first state championship win for any all black school in the nation. Is that really where your basketball and you took off? I mean, was that really where it happened? I know in your Senior year, you were named Mr. Basketball of Indiana in 1956.
3: I, I think in Indiana, playing basketball, yes. When, you, when you're successful, there, <laughs> the world knows about, it, especially in and around Indiana. Uh, we were very fortunate. We had a very good basketball team, and, and you know, and, and, and being, being an all-black team, Jimmy, mean, you had to you have to make sure you. We couldn't talk to referees and mm-hmm. say anything to other players. We have, to be, we have to maintain our dignity and be gentlemen at all times on the court. We had a coach who insisted on that, and he said, if you don't do these things, you will not play for me. And, we, and, he, and he meant it. So we, we never said anything on the court. Not, when things went bad for us, bad calls. We didn't say a word. We just kept right on playing. And I think that endeared ourselves to people around the country who, who said, boy, these guys are real good sportsmen. You know, and they, People didn't stand new. They knew when their bad calls were being made. Uh, you know, they, they knew when things were not going right, you know. You know, and you know we were like any other team. We had our ins and outs, you know, but nobody knew anything about it. We kept it within our team. My coach did a great job with that. But yeah, basketball at Christmas Addicts High School propelled me into into a, into a national national stage, you know, really. And it, it really helped me get into college, uh, uh, educational wise. I could have gotten into college, but I didn't have the money.
2: Well, what made you choose um, uh, uh, University of Cincinnati?
3: It's a strange thing. I wanted to go to Indiana University really bad. And Branch McCracken just crapped all over me, to be honest. I went down to see Branch McCracken, and, and he, first of all, my coach took me down, Jimmy, and um, he kept me waiting for like 45 minutes before he even came in to see us. He, the, the secretary took us into his office. He didn't come in. And then he, came, he comes in, and he says, the darnest thing I, I I'd ever heard in my life. He said, "I know you're not a type of kid who wants money to go to school, but well, Jimmy, I I'm, was I'm so, I'm so stupid, naive. I didn't know I didn't know kids got money to go to college." <laughs> yeah. And so I left, and and uh, I left, walked out. You know, he never called back again because I think Brad McCracken had four black guys on his team; he didn't want a fifth one.
2: That's uh. what I really
3: think was what it was all about. And a and, and a and to, to embellish on this story a little bit, as I go into UC, I tell George Smith this story. George Smith and Branch McCracken were roommates in the Navy together.
2: Unbelievable. Smith was the
3: coach of Cincinnati that I played for.
2: Well, you go to UC. You average 33.8 points per game, the third highest in college history. Each year there you receive a national scoring title. You three-time All-American. you are chosen College Player of the Year. You set 14 NCAA and 19 school records while leading the Bearcats to a 79-9 record in the university's first two Final Four appearances. Uh, you know, and then Cincinnati builds an eight-foot bronze statue in front of the university in 1994. I would assume that that guy probably is uh, biggest mistake he ever made, huh? Me? No, the biggest mistake the McCracken ever made.
3: Oh, he doesn't think it was a big mistake at all. I mean, this is this is this is this, is, this is the way things were in those days, you know? Uh, these guys were. You know, you, 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 they, they they were they were so worried about race and things, but they wanted to win. You know, the right. thing think about it, they were not going to win unless they got black ball players. Right. But but yet and still, he he. I think that he that uh. I mean, I did, I never knew Branch McCracken before until I met him. He never knew anything about me. Maybe he didn't like the way. Maybe he didn't like it because I was I was a good a great basketball player. Maybe that's what he didn't like. I never know, but I know that he had four black guys on his team. And I would have been the fifth, which would have meant a problem to rumor with somebody. And, and for some strange reason, I think that's the reason. But, uh, you know, man, where it worked out, is fine. You know, I mean, you know, sometimes fate uh, dictates what, what you're going to do and how you're going to do it.
2: Uh, I agree with that. Uh, you, you ended up right where you needed to be. Let me ask you, what was probably your single fondest memory of playing for the University of Cincinnati?
3: I enjoyed I enjoyed both the ups and downs at Cincinnati, and and the more than anything, I enjoyed get enjoyed getting my degree from the University of Cincinnati, because it was it was a big thing in my life for so so many years going to going to college, going to school, going to get a, get a degree. I actually was the first one in my family to get a college education, and to me, although I I, I, I attained a lot of success in basketball, but that didn't bother me, but. Going to school and getting that degree, that meant a lot to me.
2: Well, you go on to co-captain the U.S. basketball team at the 1960 Summer Olympics in Rome and win a gold medal. What was that experience like?
3: You know, there are some things in life that you never will forget. And, and going, going going, to win a gold medal, I'll never forget because you have to be born in the right year in order, in order to win that win that gold medal. And, and I was born in the right year. I went out and worked out for the team. And you have to understand in those days, it's not like it is now where they just pick ball players, certain ball players, to play in the Olympics. I wouldn't try it out in Denver in a week of basketball to, to make the Olympic team, and that's how I made it. But you know, it's amazing that you don't really think about the gold medal and things until you, you get much older. That, and how fortunate I was to be able to play for, for, for the country. And at the time I won a gold medal, I didn't think this. I mean, I just have to say, we, we won another basketball game, and I got a gold medal for it. I played in the Olympics. But as I got older, I realized the importance of it and how it can impact on other people and your family as well, how they, they can take pride in, in that, that kind of thing. Because now you, you, you don't have uh, young kids like Oscar Robertson, Jerry West, Boozer, Walt Bellamy, Jerry Lucas, they don't have the opportunity to do that anymore because the things have all changed.
2: Well, you go on and you sign professionally with the Cincinnati Royals. Uh, I assume that was a dream come true. And your bonus at the time uh, was uh, was actually at that time a lot of money, which obviously compared to today was not. Which I know is is something we've talked about. But it was thirty three thousand dollars. What'd you do with the money when you got the signing bonus? Well, actually,
3: actually, it was a ten thousand dollar bonus. Let me tell you, my first year, uh, I I did hardly make any money, Jimmy, because my mother had, had some debt piled up, and I had to pay it. Wow! And so, so I paid I paid the paid the paid the debt off, and actually I lived lived on like oh maybe eight eight or nine thousand dollars the first year. Wow. <laughs> Well, your mother had
2: your mother had to be awful proud of you at that point you know, in time.
3: I mean, listen, she, she had problems. I didn't realize it, you know. She, you know, she, she, my mother and father got a divorce, and you know, things happen. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, I was glad I was able to do it. You know, I mean, you know, but I, you know, no, but people think that, you know, oh gosh, he's doing so, He's doing all these like wonderful things, doing this and doing that. But you know, they have to, under, they have to look, they have to look at look look at the other page sometimes and read a little bit and find out what it what it's really all about.
2: Well, I, that I agree with. I think that uh I oftentimes tell the the players that I represent, you know, when they get in the end zone, act like you've been there before. Oh, Lord, uh, yeah. You know, and and during your era when you played. I mean, you just played. You know, you didn't have any crazy celebrations and different things like that. I just think that, you know, I, it, that what really gets to me is when a team is losing in football and a guy makes a sack or a tackle and all of a sudden he starts jumping around all over the field and the team's losing. I mean, to you, you were a, a true leader of the team. I mean, you're the only player in the history, I believe, of the entire NBA that led uh, with a triple-double. Isn't
3: that true? That's true. That happened in a few, you know, my early early career with the State Royals. And to be honest, Jimmy, I didn't even really know I was doing that. But, you know, they, they did, As a matter of fact, they didn't keep a lot of stats. They had to go back in the, in the, in the archives and, and get that all out because uh, it, it was it's a tremendous honor. I'm very proud of it, but I really didn't know I was doing it because really, you look, at, look at the all-time shot blockers in the NBA. They never mentioned Bill Russell or Wilt Chamberlain because they didn't keep the stats when they played.
2: Well, that's true. Except I was thinking about it the other day because I really was going to ask you this question um, as before we get into the the Milwaukee situation. But if you had to take your top five players of all time, would you do that for me? Well, including, including stuff, you, pick, by the way. Pick of so time.
3: you know, you got you got to go with Russell and Chamberlain. Uh, you got to go with uh, Michael Jordan, uh, Elgin Baylor, Jerry West, uh, Bob Pettit. Uh, uh, you know, players like that, I guess. Would um,
2: Magic be in that list? Yeah, he, he would be, he, he'd
3: slide into Top the 10. list. Top ten? Well, I don't know. He'd slide into the list. But, you know, he, you know when you see it all the time, you know, uh, there were some other great basketball players that, you know, that is just unbelievable what they did. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, I mean, had well, hell one-year Rick Barry averaged 30 with six, seven points a game. You know, exactly. The, you, know, that, you know, so, so that there are a lot of great basketball players. It's difficult to pick uh, a top five, but you know, I guess, but I guess, you, I guess, sports writers and ESPN people will do that eventually, which is what they've done anyway. And I, you know, I, I think that if they have put basketball into, into a situation where it's it's a highlight game. Do
2: you, so, do you get sick of hearing who was better? You were Michael Jordan.
3: Oh, no, Michael Jordan was a great basketball player. You know, it, you know. I mean, it, it, it doesn't bother me because I know what I did on the court. You know, I, mean, I, I know what I accomplished on the court, uh, 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 and I know what Michael Jordan accomplished on the court. He, he I won one championship. They might have won six or seven, but you know, and in order to win a championship, Jimmy, if you, if you look at look at our, our, our teams we have here in Cincinnati, you have to have great management because great management has to put together a, a good. Starting five and also uh, starting nine 11, and also a good bench. And, and this didn't happen in Cincinnati when I was here. They, did, they, they didn't worry about putting together a good bench. They, did, they, didn't, they didn't know what to do about getting a good bench. And you, and you look at look at the football and the baseball team, you know. You know they, they don't, <laughs> you're not going to win with the starters you have on the field.
2: you got to have football, depth.
3: Somebody gets hurt, somebody twists this, you know, someone doesn't play well. You've got to have people coming in all the time and playing well. That's how you win.
2: Let me ask you, in 1970, you get traded to the Bucks for at Milwaukee Bucks. A lot of people in Cincinnati are upset with the Royals coaching staff. Uh, although it was a negative thing, you know, for the Royals, you actually ended up getting the better end of the deal with Milwaukee and took the Bucks to four straight playoff appearances and their only NBA championship in 1971. How did that all affect you?
3: You know, Jimmy. You know, I look when it happened. I was very upset about it because not not for being traded. I was upset because the the, the came out with a story, and I guess it was fed by the Royals and also Bob Cousy and people who were trying to move the team to Kansas City. That hadn't done anything. That you know that you know that I hadn't done anything at all. All I did, Jimmy, was made the make the top five All Pro every year for ten straight years. But but. But the papers said I hadn't done anything—that really bothered me that, that they they come out and attack me. After all, I after all I'd done for Cincinnati, I mean, in college and also with the pros. But they would come out and do that. But that's what bothered me more than anything.
2: That does. Uh, there's so many. I mean, I I list it. Uh, it went on forever. The amount of awards you won on and off the court. Is there any one in particular that stands up more than others?
3: Not not really. You know. You know. I was I was player of the century, but but. The little trophy—it looks so, looks so dull and, un- and un- <laughs> un- unimaginative. You know, where well, where'd funny, you put but, it in your house? Yeah, it, it's it's just there someplace. But but people <laughs> see it, they wouldn't they wouldn't know it, if it would be a play of the year, play of the century award at all. <laughs> they wouldn't think anything about it. But you know, I don't know. You know, Very I guess at different stages, uh, I was Mr. Basketball in Indiana and I won a gold medal and and uh, and uh, you know. One, one, Won a championship, but you know I went in the Hall of Fame. Like, I'm happy that I'm in all the Hall of Fames that there that there are for 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 basketball. That mean that means something to me also. It
2: means a lot. So, so you know the uh, uh, I'm curious about one thing. When you run in or ran in first time to Kobe or LeBron or some of those people, what were they like in meeting you?
3: Oh, well, you know uh, I met Kobe when he was younger. Uh, met Jordan after after he had played a while. You know. You know, they, have a, they have a little arrogance about them, you know what not, because you know, you know, they look at you playing basketball. Sometimes they don't, they don't, they have, didn't see you play. They don't think much of you as a basketball player. You know, it's it just their mind, the money is so big, Jimmy, with some of these players today, it is overwhelming to them, and you
2: know, and what they're doing, and, and so uh, you know, you say hello, you know, and that's about it. Do you feel that this entire lockout that uh, did occur and has obviously ended? And you used to be head of the players' union um, uh, and really were responsible, your court case and really the whole free agency system. Uh, and I commend you for that because uh, you changed the game. How do you feel this is ever going to get straightened out between big market and small market teams? It's
3: not going to get straightened out, Jimmy, because that's the way, made, that's the, way the beast is. Big markets, well, they want championship teams to bring in the people. Small markets want championship teams, but they don't want to pay for it. Great players don't want to go to small markets. You you, you look at the Cincinnati Bengals. Would you rather go to Cincinnati or or go to go to um, New York,
4: or or go to Chicago,
3: even though Chicago hasn't won any more than Cincinnati, unless they have won a couple more? But you listen, that's way it is today. I mean, it it seems to me that 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 when you when you come come to when you start talking about basketball and what lockout today, they worry so much about the small markets. I guess this is what goes on. In the business world today, you take some union organizations, Jimmy. they're not worried about the elite guy who comes in, he puts in his time in, and he's a perfectionist, and he gets a done job, he gets his done hour, weekly and monthly. they worry worried about a guy who comes in, he might have to take off, he's not doing the right thing, he comes in late. That's who they worry about, and that's the wrong thing to do. But big markets today are the dominant ones. They keep the TV. TV people working. When, when television wants, wants to uh, broadcast a New York Yankee game, they know they're going to draw so many people to watch them. They, if they put a Kansas City in, they're not going to draw that many people
2: well you're right about it uh there the, there is uh, a lack of balance i think I think the n f l has somewhat straightened some of that out it 's not a hard cap, but uh, you at least have uh, a number of teams that still fight by the end of the year, which I think is uh, at least makes the game more interesting When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about your community involvement, your businesses you formed. Uh, it's really been an honor to be able to share your, the journey with uh, with you, Oscar. And um, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jimmy Gould, your host, uh, with A Current Life, and with our guest, Oscar Robertson. The show is brought to you by Smart Water, Wild Things, Gear, and Space Ad Network. Stay tuned. Thank you.
1: Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network.
4: At Wild Things, we've been making alpine clothing and packs right here in the USA since 1981. In fact, we began by stitching together extremely light climbing gear that guys on the mountain were trying to make on their own. It was a big deal in 1981. Making Wild Things the gear of choice for some of the world's most demanding alpine climbers. Of course, the climbs and the climbers are now the stuff of legend. Inspiration for the next group to realize the freedom of moving over rock and ice in a fast and light way. The rest, three decades of elation, misery, epics, and near misses, we put back into everything we make. Light, durable, functional, packable. Wild Things Gear is made and tested by those who live in it. Available exclusively at wildthingsgear.com. Stay wild.
1: Did you know that half of America's children will have at least one step-parent by the time they are 15 years old? Throughout history, children have been raised by step-parents, and that number continues to rise. Tune in to Step Wisdom with host Eleanor Alden for topical and historical research about the growing number of step-families and learn the do's and don'ts of patterns of family interaction. Almost all of us will have a step-relationship at some point in our lives. Tune in to Step Wisdom, Fridays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety.
0: Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com.
1: You're listening to A Current Life with Jimmy Gould. If you have a question or comment for Jimmy or his guest today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd like to send an email, the address is a life at yahoo.com. Now back to the program.
2: Welcome back to uh, uh, our show with Oscar Robertson, uh, known as the Big O. And, uh, Oscar, in this segment we really talk about the meaning of life and what happened. Uh, You've been such an incredible inspiration on the court. I want to talk a little bit about your adventures off the court, uh, particularly starting with your community involvement with uh, the Boys and Girls Clubs of America.
3: Well, you know, something i thought about a lot, uh, Jim, over the years, because uh, when I came up, I, you know, had the local YMCA where I could go and swim and interact with other young young boys and whatnot and play ball and whatnot. I, I just think the Boys and Girls Club of America is, is is one of the outstanding organizations in the country, and they're doing so much, so much to help young people, especially in big cities where you don't have parks, you don't have playgrounds, you don't have the types of things, you don't have the security you have where a young person can go out and play ball. Today there's so much so much crime element out there, just unbelievable, but, but the Boys and Girls Club, America has done a tremendous job. I'm happy to be associated with them.
2: Well, you've been involved in also many business ventures, many successful business ventures. Just to list a few, Fade Away, the Stain Remover Wipes, Oscar Robertson Solutions, Orchim, the chemical manufacturer, Oscar Robertson Media Ventures. Uh, you know uh, and we 've certainly been involved in looking at a number of businesses. I know you 've traveled the world china and and Africa and different places like that. How did you make the transition really from playing ball to being an entrepreneur and a businessman in the business world, and what are some of the things that you really would like to focus on uh, well, in the next few minutes
3: well i 'm still making that transition. What, do we, what, do we, what do we have right now? We have a chemical company. We have a facilities management company that we're involved with right now. And what we it want, it's what we're doing right now. You know, we want to get those, make those kind of things grow because we feel that we can do a tremendous job. Some of the corporate entities of the world it's not easy easy i must tell you because you know eventually eventually major corporations <laughs> come in to compete against us we are such a small company it's, it's devastating sometimes but you know we understand that we know how the game is played so we're going to stand there and fight it fight fight until, until the end uh but but this is what we're doing now with our with our specialty chemical company that's our chem, and our facilities management company which is uh, which is or solutions
2: well, your products are great. I, I remember when you first brought the fadeaway to me, and I oh. remember remember dumping that on somebody's yeah. sweater. I think I, I you told me I could dump anything on the sweater that wasn't mustard. That's true. And I walked up to one of my associates, and I think it was ketchup that I used, and then that fadeaway took it right away. So, I mean, you've had some very interesting involvement with different products, and you've traveled around the globe. Uh, am I correct? You've been that you were one of the first people to go over to China, right? Yes,
3: with basketball. That's correct. We were first basketball. Uh, a group to go over there and play
2: and uh, and as you're kind of looking out do you feel our global environment and our economic situation once we get our politicians out of the way will maybe get a little better over the next few years
3: Jimmy, yeah, mean, I think that if the politicians got out of the way, if you look at how, how important the Olympics are to the world, how it brings people together and um, to compete and for friendship, if our politicians got out of the, guy, out of the way, I don't think it would be at all a problem. So I guess people would, if they could want to compete on the field for honor, uh, for, 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 for bragging rights, then they would do that. But this, this, is, this thing now today, you know, you, you, you can't go here, you can't go there. You, I mean, it's unbelievable. You know, I mean, you talk to people that – They're so friendly that when people you meet, it is unbelievable. But when you talk to politicians, it's just the opposite.
2: Well, I, you know, I said on the last show that uh, we ought to probably vote everybody out of office and start over and have term limits on people and stop letting them campaign while they're in office because clearly we don't have a business environment. It's affecting particularly people like yourself and myself and who build businesses. You know, we need all the help we can get right now because we're up against so many other markets. And as you said, every day you fight up against big corporations who get big tax breaks. So uh, I certainly understand. and And, you know, you're an inspiration, and we're an inspiration on the court, and, and you are off the court as well. So let me ask you, who would you say, or what would you say was your wow moment in your life, professionally and personally, something that just hit you, and you knew what you wanted to do, and you kind of knew, you know, where you were headed? Was there a particular moment or event or thing that happened?
3: No, you know, I tell you, just, just being able to travel around the uh, gym and meet and meet dignitaries and, and, and rulers of countries of all over the world and, and to know how powerful they are and know that you're, you're in that company and uh, and to really just see how they, how they act and how they react to people. Uh, that, that, meant, that meant so much to me to be able to do that, to be able to travel a little bit, because coming up, I'm, I was never able to go anywhere other than in and after to Tennessee to see my grandparents. But I, I think that I think every young person... Uh, every young person should, should be able to travel, maybe to China, to Africa, to Norway, just one time, just once or twice in their life to see other people, see how they live. Because a lot of kids today in these, in their schools and whatnot, they don't go anywhere at all. They never go to the White House. They never, go down, they never, they never get, get, get to see the CEO at Procter & Gamble or at Westinghouse. They don't get to see these people at all. And I think, I think it's wrong to do.
2: Well, it, it, as I often ask everybody, and it maybe sounds simplistic, I've had answers of all kinds. As you look back on your journey, I've asked each of our guests over the last thirteen weeks, "What do they feel is the meaning of life?" In a much more spiritual way, what, what would you? What would your answer be?
3: I, I think, Jimmy, everybody's here for a purpose, and you've got to figure it out. Why are you here on Earth? You're not here just just to walk around and or, or, or go to church or, or go socialize with people. I, I think you're here for a reason, and, and you know, you've got to figure it out. And, and I'm still trying to figure out why I'm here on earth, because, because I'm involved in some things, and sometimes they're successful, sometimes they aren't. But I got, so I haven't figured it out yet, but, but I think you're here for a purpose. I don't think just, you're just here just because you were, you, you were born uh, to a, a mother and father and, and you know you don't have anything to say, to say about it. No, I think you're here for a reason, and you've got to figure it out and, and get yourself going in that direction.
2: Well, I, th- I do think it's all about knowledge. I do think it's all about learning. I do think it's all about figuring out what it's all what, what your purpose is. I agree with you. I, I've always felt this kindred spirit with you. It's why I'm so fond of you. And, and I guess I would ask you to give some advice to our younger listeners, because we have a lot of them that aspire to follow their dreams in life and, and become successful with, with you. Is there one thing in particular that you could offer them?
3: I would tell them to study the most difficult thing there is in college. I try to go to Rochester Institute of Technology. I would study Chinese and all foreign languages because America is going in that direction. We're not going to be the same country we had we were where years ago, where where everyone got was able to go to the, well, General Motors or Ford and get a job, or go go here and get a job. Those things are gone forever.
2: Well, I you know in your in your book, I think I read. Um... Uh, that uh, there was a quote that your mother would share with you and your brothers. It was kind of her way of summarizing a complicated passage from the Bible from Matthew 25:15, where she said, God gave three men a talent. The first one threw it away and the birds ate it. The second man put his in the sun and it melted. And the third man took care of his. The Lord will give you more if you take care of what he gave you.
3: there's no doubt about that. I I, I think think when you're successful in doing something, you know, you you can do things. But, but Jimmy, you know as well as I do, I I, I realize that in in America today, you know, and and, and being being, being an African-American entrepreneur, you know, it's it's, it's about about the money. If if I'd had a little more money, I could have done a lot more things, bought a lot of different companies and whatnot, but you 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 don't have it, so I don't worry about that. I, I try to go with what I have and get it done from, 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 my, from my standpoint. This, this is a great country. Uh, there are a lot of opportunities, but a lot of people are in the way of those opportunities. You've got to go around them, over the top of them, and underneath them, any way you can to get there. But she's right about that. You know, a lot of people, you know, they, they're, not, they're not aggressive. You know, they, they, they want to stay within their own confines of the of their community and the city of the state. I think the world. The world is, is out there for everybody. You know, we have to take advantage of it. We don't. We don't often do that. I don't often do that, but I'm starting to do that a lot more now.
2: Well, that actually leads me to my final question: Is what's next in your career, and what are you currently working on?
3: Well, we're working on a company now with our, with, our, with, our, with, the, with the chemicals and also the facility management. which I think we're about to, we're about to get into some huge, huge contract. But I, I want to do some work in Africa and, and, and some of the African countries. I'm talking to some people right now about, about selling them some food, selling them some, 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 some fax copy machines, and also selling them some chemicals. So that's what I'm doing right now, you know. And I think that you, know, you look, look, at, look at the uh, countries to the south. We, don't, we we never a lot of times when you when you're when you're a small company you don't get the opportunities to go see these people. But fortunately for me, I've met people over the last four, five, six years, I'm able to see and meet these people and I'm I'm a, I'm gonna try to take advantage of it.
2: Well, I can tell you from the time we've spent together, I recommend to all of our listeners that they figure out some way to be involved with your businesses and with you. You're, uh, you're, uh, w- w- if we could clone you, I would do it in a second because we need more of you in this world. Uh, you're a man of the highest integrity. You're a dear friend. I appreciate the time that you gave us today because I know you're getting ready to get on an airplane and travel, and uh, I want to thank you for being on the show.
3: Yes, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much.
2: And I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning into A Current Life on the Voice of America Variety Channel. This is your host, Jimmy Gould, signing off. And please join us next Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern. Until next time, I wish each and every one of you a journey filled with hope, inspiration, and success. Oscar, thank you for your friendship.
3: Great. Thank you, Jimmy.
2: Take care. Travel safe.
3: Yes. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks again for joining us for A Current Life on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please tune in to another great program with your host, Jimmy Gould, next Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time. We'll see you next week.